Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. All right, so we just came through this amazing series, and, and Pastor Ray is, uh, I think he just about killed himself there. He preached more times in a row, actually, than he's preached in an entire year for many years already. And... Uh, and uh, I bug him all the time about being old. It's true, he's in his 60s now. So he's very happy and relieved uh, that it's back to me. But you know what? It was one of those series, that marriage and sexuality, there's these, there's these God moments in the life of a church. And you can't plan them. Uh, he never planned for that series uh, to do what it did. But it was just one of those God moments. And we prayed about it uh, a number of times throughout the whole thing. And it was one of those kind of defining moments series uh, for such a time as this. And uh, I really believe... Uh, it's awesome, and the things that God is gonna, we're going to see God do in our church. And just sometimes truth just needs to be proclaimed. Uh, there's a power. There's something happens when, when good is silenced in a culture, and there's something that's unleashed. It's not even just about discipleship and what are the practical implications. There are many practical implications, but there's just a power that is unleashed, the spoken word. And so that marriage and sexuality series that Pastor Ray did, I believe really foundational. I believe it was strategic in the spiritual realms. And I believe someday we're going to look back and we're going to see that that was a, uh, it was a major uh, time. It was an important moment. And I really believe that this is a God moment for our church. I had a, I've got several series that I'm, I've been kind of thinking and praying about that I was planning to start uh, today. I wasn't sure which one yet. And, but anyways, I, then I, I, I just felt like there's, there's we've got to do a one-off here and then actually the one-off turned into it. It'll be next week too. But... but um, <laughs> I have to talk, this, this, if you're new here, I apologize uh, this morning. This morning's message is, is a hodgepodge uh, family talk uh, message, okay? It's a hodgepodge family talk message. And the reason I, I feel we just need to do this is tomorrow uh, night starts this Conquer series we've been talking about uh, for a number of weeks, okay? It starts tomorrow night. And again, if you're new here, we're not running the Conquer series on a weekend. Uh, this is a men's series. It's about sexual purity, but it's running during the week for the next five weeks, and like I said before, I really believe this is a God moment in the, in the life of our church. And there's these certain moments you can't plan for them. You know, you can't human plan uh, for God moments. And all the human planning in the world, and we do a lot of planning here and stuff, and, and you pray and you plan and you do stuff, and all the human planning in, in the world, you, you can maybe move the kingdom of God like that much, if anything at all. But then there's these moments where God shows up and God's doing something, and it's like a wave, and you just have to jump on it when it's there. And that's really what I feel this Conquer series, this tackling of sexual purity with the men is going to be. And when we first uh, heard about this course, it was only about six or seven weeks ago, and uh, when we first heard about it, and again, that's a whole long story even there, how we came to find this course uh, was actually just a miracle. But when we first started ordering books for the course, uh, the guys asked me, you know, how many books are you going to order? And, and uh, they had some numbers, and I, I was the most conservative, okay? Cause, uh, um, and so I, I figured, you know, if we had 600 men, I'd be really pumped. That'd be really amazing. So we ordered 600 books, and then, and then we blew through that. And by the way, this is, this is like un, unprecedented. The, the company that puts this stuff together, uh, we have now have 1,300, over 1,300 men signed up, I believe, 1,300 plus, somewhere in there. And that, that is, that's a God thing. That is a God thing. We, uh, that is, like I said, I, I was hoping for 600, and then we blew through that. We had to order another 300. Then we had to order another 300, and now a couple days ago, we just had to order, I believe, another 300. We did again. And, uh, and like I said, this is absolutely unprecedented. The company that puts this together, the material, by the way, is absolutely phenomenal. It's fantastic. But, I mean, the company that put this together, they've never seen anything like this. When we first went on their website, 
uh, they had this, we were looking at the different packages, and they had this one package there called the Church Mega Bundle. And we're like, well, that's, that's going to be the one we need. So we clicked it open. 25 workbooks were in the, in the Church <laughs> Mega Bundle. So when we started ordering 600 and then 300s and 300s and 300s, they, 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 can't, they can't believe it either. They've never seen anything like it, okay? So I, I really believe this is a God moment in the time of our church, and it's time to deal with sexual sin at a whole new level. One of the statistics out there is that 60 to 70% of men in the church are struggling with pornography. That is, that is, that's in the church we're talking about. And I don't know, maybe in this church, I, you know, I wonder if, are we a little lower than that maybe because of all the set frees and some of the stuff we've done. And I know uh, many guys that have gotten freedom in our church uh, from pornography and stuff. So maybe we're a little lower than that, but I'll tell you something, we're not much lower than that. We're dealing with it tons here at this church too. 60 to 70%. They also sit now say that 20 to 30% of the women, and that's more of kind of maybe a, new, a newer thing that hasn't been on our radar before, um, and I'm going to talk about that in, in a little bit this message too because, I, like I said, this is a hodgepodge family talk message. But 60 to 70% of the, of the men, 20 to 30% of the women uh, enslaved in pornography. And, you know, one of the things, and they, you saw it in the trailer, but I absolutely believe it's true, is there can be no revival or renewal in the church when there's that much sin. There just can't be. And so I believe this is the time. Now, if we would have planned this, again, there's God moments, there's God timing. If we would have tried to conjure up something a year ago, six months ago, it wouldn't have done. But now it's just one of those moments. God's doing it, and it's time for us to hit this thing and hit it hard. And we as a leadership here at Southland have got a righteous anger stirring up in us against this stronghold. Now you say, now some of you are sitting there and you're one of those who struggles with this bondage, and you're thinking that what I just said is that we're mad at you. We're not mad at you. We are broken sons and daughters, enslaved. Our heritage and our inheritance is freedom. Our inheritance is children of God. We just sang about it. Our inheritance is freedom. We're not mad at you, but I am mad at this stronghold. I'm mad at a sick and twisted culture that ensnares. I can't tell you how many guys have prayed with in my office. It started when they were five. It started when they were six. It started when they were eight. They were on the internet. They happened to see something they shouldn't have seen, a pop-up, whatever. They were ensnared, and now they're absolutely entrapped, and there's nothing they can do about it. Our hearts go out to the ones who are in bondage, but we have a righteous anger rising up in us against this stronghold. It is time for the church to have victory. It's time for the church to have victory. And over the next few weeks, again, not on the weekends. If you're new here, we're not doing this on the weekends. But during the week, five days during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday, we're going to be tackling this thing in these conquer groups. And I am praying that a mighty wave of holiness and repentance are going to sweep across this church. I am praying that this is not just going to be a one-time thing and a few guys get set free of something. I'm praying for a permanent hunger and desire and passion for holiness and repentance to sweep across this church. And if you want to know why, you say, why? What's so big? I mean, we all kind of get, sure, we want you know, holiness and repentance. That sounds like a good thing to pray. But, but, but why would you want it that much, Chris? Why would the leadership here at Southern, why would we as a church desire for a wave of holiness and repentance to sweep across this church? How would it make things better? I'll tell you what will happen. If a wave of holiness and repentance sweeps across this church, I'll tell you what will happen. Here's what will happen. We're going to see God. Amen. Now, some of you are going, some of you are saying amen, thank you. Some of you are going, okay, he's been off preaching for a few months. He's kind of gone a little wacky now. <laughs> but so I'll say it again. 
if a wave of holiness and repentance sweeps across this church, I'll tell you why we should want that and why I desperately want it, is because if that happens, we are going to see God. Say, how can you say that so unequivocally and so confidently? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 8, he said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what Jesus said. I believe that if a wave, if 60 or 70% of men are enslaved and 20 to 30% of women are enslaved in pornography, there's no reason, there's no wonder why our churches are so dead and the power of God is not evident. We have all the right teaching, we've got Bibles, we've got prayer, we've got doctrine, but we have very little of God. I believe it's this issue. If we see a wave of holiness and repentance sweep the church, we are going to see and experience God, his glory, his love, his presence in our services, in our families, in our cell groups like never before. And I don't know about you, but I actually really want that. Because this is actually all about him. And we'll have heaven here on earth when God moves in. So I'm praying over these next five weeks for a wave of holiness and repentance. You know, there's another amazing promise in the, in the Sermon on the Mount there that Jesus gave just two verses before that one. What God promises to do. Look at this amazing promise. Matthew 5 or 6. So we know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But I want you to look at this promise as well. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'm going to read that again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's a guarantee. You know, there's not many things that you're guaranteed to get a yes in in prayer, no matter that like you can just pray, and it's a guaranteed yes. If you go home today and you pray for a Cadillac, you know, some of you might get that prayer answered, but most of us are not going to get that prayer answered if you even want a Cadillac, okay? But maybe you go home and you want to pray for a million dollars, okay? 99% of us, that's not in God's plan for your life, you're not going to get that prayer answered yes, okay? You go, there's all kinds of, you could pray, I never want to get sick or feel any pain in my life. You're not going to get that prayer answered. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have many troubles. You're not going to get that prayer answered yes. You'll get it answered, you'll get it answered no. But here in this verse, Matthew 5, verse 6, there is a prayer that is guaranteed to be answered yes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're going, well, how come I still have bondage in my life? How come so-and-so who's been going to church for many, many years still has bondage in their life? How can this be true? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's just think about this for just a moment. I want you to notice in this passage, Jesus does not promise, blessed are those who would like a little righteousness in their lives, for they will be satisfied. He does not say, blessed are those who are a little bit annoyed with their sin, their sin is an inconvenience, so they wouldn't mind a little bit of righteousness. They will be satisfied. He doesn't say, blessed are those who have a sort of desire some days. Yeah, it'd be nice to have some righteousness in my life. Blessed are they, they will be satisfied. does not say that. He says, one group of people are going to be satisfied. Not those who like 
righteousness. Not those who wouldn't mind a little righteousness, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That group of people will be satisfied. Now, why is that? Why is it? What is it about hunger and thirst? Is it just hunger and thirst alone that sets a person free? No. There's many principles, and, and, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't matter what your thing is. It could be sexual bondage, it could be anger, it could be whatever, anxiety, fear, body image. I'm not, this, is, this is right across the board. But even in terms of sexual bondage, there's a lot of teaching in the, in the Conquer Course. There's all kinds of tools and things that need to happen in order to get free, and there's things you need to know and things you need to do in order to be free. So it's, it's more than just hunger and thirst in order to, to find righteousness. So what is it about hunger and, th- and, and thirst for righteousness so that makes it so necessary, and I'll tell you why. Hunger and thirst for righteousness alone won't get you set free, but it's an absolute prerequisite. If you don't have it, the door is shut. If you have it, the door is open and you're going to enter through. And the reason is because the journey to freedom is long and very difficult. Only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will walk the journey of freedom all the way to the end and not get off it. In the case of sexual bondage, and again, this applies to any kind of bondage, but we'll just talk about sexual bondage for just a moment. If you're a man here today in sexual bondage, the journey to freedom is not, I'm going to come to a five-week course and be out of it. You're going, oh, well, why did I sign up? I spent 10 bucks. <laughs> I mean, 10 whole bucks. I better be free by the end of this five weeks. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. There's a lot more to getting free. You're going to learn some principles in here. You're going to start on some life habits, and you're going to make some friendships and learn about vulnerability and do some things together. They're going to start you on a pathway to freedom. But did you know it takes the average man who's, who's steeped in pornography, it takes the average man two to five years to get free. And in that two to five years, it's not just you start the, the, the stopwatch once you start taking the concrete course, okay, two to five years from now, I'm going to be free. No, no, it's two to five years of an arduous uphill climb into the mountains on a very, very narrow, rocky path. Because everything you've been doing in life to this point has been feeding that pornography addiction, that sexual bondage. And it's more than just a little bit of information going into the left side of your brain that's going to set you free. It's going to take a whole radical renewing of your mind. You're going to need three or four men in your life who you are willing to take all your masks off with. Many men will stop right there. They don't have the courage to do it. Who that, where, they, where you will share the deepest, most darkest, most shameful things from your life. Many men will stop right there. There's no way I'm taking all my masks off. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Only the ones who are desperate... They hunger and thirst for righteousness more than they desire their own reputation to look good, more than they desire social media and sports and food and sleep. More, it's going to take men who hunger and thirst for righteousness and women who hunger and thirst for righteousness where I'm going to get up. You remember Ray Yoder's testimony a few weeks ago? He said something profound in there towards the end. He said, I recognize that I had never given God a chance. And this is after he'd been a Christian for many years. And then he said this. He said, I realized... If it was going to take getting up early in the morning and spending two hours with God every day in the word and prayer, if that was what it was going to take to be free, then that was what I was going to do. And do you notice that that was when his freedom started? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger for and thirst for righteousness more than for their own comfort, more than looking good, more than their own reputation, more than hanging on to their, all of their worldly uh, life addictions and their self-centeredness. And they say, I'm going to spend every day, I'm going to seek God's face in prayer. I'm going to saturate my mind in his word. I'm going to be absolutely accountable and, and vulnerable. And I'm going to stick to this path which is going to be very difficult at times, I'm going to stick to it for two to five years and beyond in order to be free. The only kind of people that will do something like that are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So Jesus says, blessed are those not who want a little bit of righteousness, not blessed are those who would like a little righteousness. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. It's a promise. My prayer today, and I'm going to have you stand in just a moment because we're going to pray for the entire church. But my prayer for you guys here today, you might be here today and you're, you're not actually sure if you're hungering and thirsting yet. You still aren't quite sure. You're maybe not at rock bottom. You're, you're maybe a bit annoyed with your sin, but you haven't got to hunger and thirst where you're willing to walk a hard, hard journey and you're willing to die in order to be set free. You know what? God's not mad at you this morning. He's going to get you there. And one of the things I was in the prayer room praying for repeatedly this week is I was praying, Lord, for those guys who are only annoyed with their sin, for those women who are only annoyed with their sin, I'm praying that in your grace and your goodness, you're going to shift them to hunger and thirst because those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. And so I believe we're at a God moment in the, in the, in the life of our church, and I believe God is about to do something big. And I believe that if we allow him to do something big and if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that in the, in, the next, in the coming months we're actually going to see God in ways we never imagined before here at our church. And that's what I want us to pray for. So I'm actually going to get us all to stand. We're going to pray together as a congregation for these next few weeks. And I, I actually wrote out a prayer because I didn't want to miss anything. There's a few things I've written down that I'm praying for our church over these next few weeks. So I'm, going to, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to read these prayers that I'm praying uh, every week for our church, and we're going to ask God to do great things in the life of our church. Sovereign God of the universe, Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you this day, come to you today, this weekend, about this issue of sexual immorality and bondage. We offer these next five weeks to you, Father, as a sacrifice and a worship offering, and we ask that you would be pleased with our small and feeble attempts to please and glorify you. I pray that you would put in each of us a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray that you would shift those hearts that are merely annoyed with their sin, that you would shift those hearts towards hunger and thirst. I pray for the 1,300 plus men who are going to take this course for the next five weeks. Sovereign God, we bring each of these men to you and the fact that they have said yes to you, I pray that heaven would say a heavenly yes back to them. That there would be a transference of spirit power into their lives that hundreds of men would be set free. I pray for every family and marriage in this church to be blessed, that you would keep them together. When we take the lid off of sin, there's going to be some hurt, there's going to be some pain, there's going to be some mess. I'm praying today, Father, that you will keep marriages together, that you will protect the marriages, that you will protect the families in this church as we deal with our sin. I pray that as purity rises, joy, love, oneness, and grace would overflow in our marriages and families. 
I pray that you would break the power of shame and secrecy and condemnation that surrounds so many men and women in this church with regards to sexuality and sexual bondage. I pray for a powerful release of vulnerability, grace, and love that we can shine the light into the darkest places, that secrets that people in this congregation here this morning and all of our services this weekend have been carrying in some cases for decades that they've never told anyone about, that there's, just, there's this shame that keeps us in bondage. There's this condemnation. Father, I pray that you would shine your light into the darkest corners of our lives and that you would set us free. I pray for the women in our church. Those who are in sexual bondage, they are not alone. I pray that you would speak that truth to them. They are not alone. We're working on the men right now, but they are not alone. You are going to set many of them free as well. For the wives of men who are struggling, Lord Jesus, give them the grace to endure the deep pain that comes from knowing your husband struggles with this issue. Give them the grace not to give up. Give them the grace not to despair. And give them the grace to look within themselves and deal with their own junk so that holiness and repentance will not just flow through our men, but through all of your people here at this church. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here comes the hodgepodge. Hodgepodge family talk. I'm going to speak to a bunch of different people here in this congregation this morning. First of all, I want to speak to the women who are here that are struggling with pornography. This Conquer series right now is for men. It's because we, the, and the people who made the Conquer series are actually making one for women. We are going to get our hands on it at some point. They're just not finished. We will have something from you. We just want you to know it can feel very isolating if you're a woman in this issue. It's, this is hardly talked about with the men in our churches, but at least now we can start to talk about that. But the women who are in bondage, there's increased shame. It's like that's not talked about. That's a, that's a man issue, but us women don't deal with it. It's even more shameful. In many cases for women, they feel even more isolated, especially now that we're dealing with the men. We just want you to know you are not alone. There is stuff coming, and in the meantime, you don't have to wait for the Conquer Series for women to be set free. People have been getting set free by the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years already. And so you can call us. We've got women here on staff. They're going to pray with you. They're going to help you. Uh, just know you're not alone. We've not forgotten about you. Don't hide in your shame. You're not alone. And uh, that's important that you know that. There's going to be a Women's Weekly Shepherd for the next few weeks uh, while all the guys, like, you have to understand, 1,300 plus guys, think about it, if we got 4,000 some coming on a weekend here, but around 1,200 of those are kids. We've got maybe 3,000 adults in this church on a given weekend. If, half, if it's half and half, men and women, you've got 1,500 men, 1,500 women, the fact that we have 1,300 plus guys means a huge chunk of our men are coming to this course for the next few weeks. Praise God. Okay? It also means that our cells have emptied out of men, for the most part. So women, Grace Fast and Dana and Karis, we've got a few women on staff, are going to be putting together a weekly shepherd for women during these next few weeks. Okay? So you can talk to Ray Order about that. You can email us, whatever. They're going to be sending it out to all the women cell leaders. But even if, 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 you're, if you feel like you'd like to look at that, you most certainly can. I want to talk now to the wives of men who struggle. I want to talk to the wives of men who struggle. Four things I want to say. First of all, there is hope and you are not alone. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. There is hope and you are not alone. You'll have seen when you came in this morning, there's tables in the lobbies. When you go out, there's stacks of, of papers on there, thousands of them. 
And uh, what each one, each handout has got four short testimonies of couples who have come through this thing of sexual bondage where the man was in it. All of them are written from the women's point of view. They're powerful. I would encourage each and every person here, man and woman, single, married, young and old, take one of those home and read it. It's going to encourage you. Even if you're not dealing with it in your home, you're going to know someone in your family, someone in your cell, someone at work who is dealing with it, and you can be an encouragement to them. Those stories will give you hope. I know many couples in this church. I have talked to at least four in just the last couple of weeks who are leaders in this church now who have come through this very struggle and now I can tell you their marriages are better than they ever were before. They can trust their husbands. Their husbands have been set free. You are not alone and there is hope. Okay? You're not the only one and there is hope. God is a God of the impossible, which brings up the next thing. Instead of panic, pray. Can I just emphasize that again, ladies? Instead of panic, pray. For some of you, you know, hearing this, it is painful. It's a painful thing. It's hurtful what your husband's been involved in, okay? The thing you have to understand is it isn't actually about you. This is his issue. It's not about you. It's his issue. It's going to hurt you, but it's his issue. Instead of panicking, you need to pray. See, God's not just calling the men in this church the whole new level of maturity. He's calling the women. So we can take our panic and our hurt and it's, they're very real. The, the, the hurt is real. You don't have to be ashamed of that. It does hurt. It is painful. Okay? It's betrayal. But you can take that betrayal and you can live in the flesh and you can become bitter and you can panic and you can lash out and you can be angry or we can let God not just challenge the men in this church but we can let God challenge the women and we can take our pain to Jesus, to the prayer room, to the secret place. And that's what, by the way, that's what we as Christians are supposed to do. It doesn't matter what the issue is. You know what the calling is on a son and a daughter of Jesus? When we get hurt, we want to be mad. It's okay to hurt. But we want to get bitter. We want to be unforgiving. We want to lash out. We want to panic. We want to, we want to make all waves, and we just want to hurt back. But Jesus says that's not what we're called to. What a Christian is called to, what a son and daughter of Jesus is called to, is to take that pain and go to Jesus in prayer. And here's the thing I know about God. He says it. With God... Nothing is impossible. If you live out of the flesh, you could wreck your marriage. In your response to what's going on to the pain, you could wreck your marriage. But if you go to Jesus, with God, nothing is impossible. And if you will go to prayer, he will do great things. He can restore your husband. He can restore you. He can restore the marriage. We've seen it happen over and over again. Which brings up the third thing. Get healing and help for your pain. It's not bad that you feel pain. We're not asking you to bottle it up. We've got women here on staff who would gladly pray with you, but you've got cell leaders. You've got godly friends. We've got testimonies, all right? Don't bottle up your pain. Don't hide it. Just don't act out of the flesh in it. Take it to Jesus and take it to godly women who are going to encourage you. Don't take it to women who are going to be like, I told you not to marry that guy. I told you he was a loser for the last 10 years. Those are the women you stay far away from, Okay? You want to go to godly women who are going to tell you hope. He can be redeemed. You can be redeemed. Your marriage can be redeemed. In fact, I want to show you a testament. We have a video testament right now. Chris and Carolyn Puhatch. We've got staff. Uh, we've, got, we've got key leaders on our staff who have walked this journey and have seen God do miracles. We've seen God do great things, and they can happen in your life too. So we're going to watch. It's a five-minute video. We're going to watch their testimony, and, and I think it's going to encourage you. I first got into pornography when I was 13 years old, and... At 15, I was pretty addicted to it. I wasn't a believer, but I still had this cycle of feeling guilty, 
vowing to never look at it again and then uh, falling, falling into it, I had such a low self-esteem and so I would feel dirty when I would fall into pornography and, and it just kind of fed more into this desire to have some kind of fix, some kind of high in my life and, and porn was that for me. So it was this repetitive, ugly cycle. Uh, 21, I became a Christian and, and I thought that changed things. It, it did give me a desire for freedom at another level, but I still had these chains in my life and I'd keep slipping into it. And uh, then we got married at 23 and I thought, okay, now this porn thing is going to be gone completely, but I would still fall in marriage. And that was devastating to me and I was scared where this would lead. Definitely this was planted into Chris long before we even met. And going into marriage, um, I was pretty naive about the whole thing. And uh, like many women, thought this would never touch our marriage. It wasn't even a possibility. And then the shock. I remember the first time that Chris uh, confessed to me that he had looked at porn and I was so hurt. I was mad at him. How could he do this to me? And then there was blame on myself. What had I done to force him to look at this stuff? Was I not beautiful enough? Like, was I not attractive enough? Um, what was it? And it was something that I thought was so dirty and out in the world. And yet here he was confessing it to me. Again and again, he would confess. And each time I think I got a little more prepared, although it was very tough. Um, all through it all, I was so glad that I'd gone to God on this stuff. I'd got God's heart. And God just showed me that it wasn't about me. Um, there are many guys that have the models of this world and they look at porn. Um, this was about Chris. And God showed me that he wanted better. His heart wasn't going to this in this direction, his heart was moving towards God and it was in that direction that kept me uh, persevering. I was always really uh, quick to confess, but I think I was quick to confess because I wanted to get rid of my feeling of guilt. It was like a selfish repentance. And so I didn't like her being unhappy with me. I didn't like the tension. I didn't like feeling guilty when I hadn't confessed it. So I would just unload confessions more for my own sake it was really more about me and I think that's why I would keep falling into it because my life was very self-centered. That was really one of the roots for me. So even when I had a season of not looking at porn, it wasn't like I was suddenly a great husband. I would, I would watch tons of movies, I'd play video games, just get immersed in sports. And so really, really I had these issues of, of pursuing a self-centered life. And, and then when those things like movies and all that didn't satisfy, I went for the quicker high again of pornography and then I confess again. And so that was just a terrible, terrible uh, cycle. So I had to make a choice. I realized that. Um, I came to the point where I realized I had to bring God a will and a heart that wanted freedom no matter the cost. And I had a fear of the Lord. I mean, I, I was praying and, and feeling distant. So I thought God really isn't thrilled with this lifestyle. He wanted it to change. Um, and I also had Carolyn showing me grace and working on her stuff. And I, I, I want to say that was so motivating, even though I had all this junk in my life, here she was working on her stuff. Uh, at times she was manipulative and it was such a tiny thing. It was so rare, but she was trying to work on that. And I was convicted. I needed to deal with my stuff. So I, I made a choice, no matter the cost, I was going to move ahead on this. And I also made a choice. I decided that I was not going to hide my emotions when he would fall. Cheap grace wasn't going to help him. 
The other thing is I was going to work on my stuff. I was determined. Stuff like manipulation, lying under pressure, these kinds of things. Uh, we needed to get all the junk out of our home, not just, not just his. I mean, he was working on his stuff and could I avoid my stuff? No. So we just wanted to get rid of everything. Yeah, and the major shift really happened about six-ish years into our marriage, about three years after coming to Southland and, and uh, 15 years, 16 years into pornography. And through that choice in my heart to actually seek freedom once and for all, and Carolyn showing me grace, freedom became possible. And it got to the point where I wasn't falling anymore. It got to the point where the old images that used to bombard me were no longer popping into my brain. I never even thought that was possible, that those images would be gone for good. And I now had the freedom to become the, the man, the husband, the father and the leader that God had called me to be. It wasn't freedom from temptation ever again, but now the automatic response became uh, righteousness and not wickedness. And I really give credit to God for this, but also I give credit to Carolyn for showing me understanding and grace. And really the, the statement in 1 Corinthians, it says love is patient, love is kind, it trusts, it perseveres. That really became alive in our marriage. I think we relied on God. Um, I was loving a broken man. He was loving God and, and me. And all of it joined together to lead us to freedom. Praise God. Praise God. Isn't that a good testimony? Yeah, let's give God. Two things I just want to notice uh, from that testimony. There's lots of good stuff in there, but two things that Carolyn said. First of all, she took this thing to God right from the beginning. And I just want to say again, there is nothing. The Bible is so clear about this. Some of you actually just need to finally get into this thing for more than five or ten minutes. There are so many promises in here that those who wait on the Lord will never be ashamed. Another way you can, can translate that is those who wait on the Lord will never be disappointed. If you are disappointed and disillusioned with the way your marriage is going, with the things going on in your husband or with your wife or whatever it is, if you're disillusioned and disappointed in life, I tell you how you fix that. You go and you wait on the Lord. She took this thing to God. That's how you have victory. That's how a believer has victory. And some of us have just been waiting in the shallow end of God for so many years. We've heard this, but we've never acted on it. And at some point, we just have to obey. There has to be another step of maturity, which is someone else isn't going to pray for my marriage for me. So I'm going to go, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to lift this thing up to God until he works mightily on my behalf. And I'll tell you, someone who waits on the Lord week after week, month after month, year after year, you look three years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, you will see God do great things. The first thing she did, she took this thing to God. She got God's heart for Chris in the middle of this. Instead of the marriage blowing apart, the marriage got better. Second thing that I think is just so absolutely powerful in this testimony is Carolyn said, I made a decision. I talked to them also, not just seeing this testimony, but this is something they brought up before they even did the testimony, was that Carolyn made a decision. She said, if he's going to work on his porn, I've actually got to work on my stuff too. Whoa. That's deep. Okay? See, because one of the things I'm concerned about is we do this Conquer series during the week, and we get 1,300 plus guys over there, and then kind of everybody else in the church just sort of looks at them and says, well, those, those dirty, rotten lusters, and they're looking at porn, a bunch of sickos, all men are just sick. And there is some truth to that. Um, <laughs> but you just sort of get this two-tiered thing, and it's like they need to work on their junk. 
See, because we have this idea. See, porn is an obviously bad sin. It's disgusting, it's gross, it's hurtful, it's betraying, it's all of that stuff. It is a, a, a wicked, evil, sick sin. So it's very, but it would be very easy for us to single that one out and just say, now that's a bad one. Meanwhile, we harbor all of these other sins are so-called acceptable ones. So porn, that's a dirty one. He better get a hold of that. But when it comes to my manipulation, my controlling behavior, lying, exaggerated, you know, angry outbursts, whatever it is, we have our accept. Those are the ones you can kind of take out in public and dress them up a little bit. Well, I know Jesus doesn't really like those, but, but hey, he better deal with his junk because that's gross. Well, amen, that is gross, and we're coming against pornography with a fury. But if we think that God has a two-tiered system in his brain, that those guys better work on their porn, but over here, we're just going to hang on to controlling behavior and emotional manipulation and lying and anger and all that sort of stuff, we have another thing coming. Because God doesn't have a two-tiered system. He sees sin. It's all disgusting to him. You know what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount? He compared anger to what? Matthew chapter 5. He compared anger to murder. Is pornography worse than murder? No. If you're wondering, no. It's not worse than murder. Okay? You know what Jesus did in Matthew 18? Pastor Ray talked about this a week or two ago. I think it was last week, maybe. Talked about the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus tells this whole parable, and at the end of it, he says, if you don't forgive people uh, who, when they hurt you, then the Father in heaven won't forgive you your sins. In other words, if you don't forgive people, your own sins will be unforgiven. Is pornography worse than unforgiveness? No. Is pornography worse than emotional manipulation and controlling behavior, anger, unforgiveness? No. If we're going to harbor those things, Jesus is saying, absolutely, we've got to hit pornography and sexual bondage head on. Absolutely. And we've got to see victory or we're not going to see God show up in this church in real power. But if we think we're going to hang on to those other things at the same time, we've got another thing coming. And so one of the things I believe Jesus wanted to say today in this hodgepodge family talk message is he wants to level the playing field. There's not going to be a two-tiered system. Over the next few weeks, well, we got 1,300-plus guys working on sexual bondage. At the same time, we have to come to God, and we have to purify ourselves, and we have to say, Lord, deal with the rest of our junk, too. You know, if, if you show me, you show me a man who's struggling with porn, but who's broken over his pornography, and I'll show you a person who is close to God. You say, what? I'll say it again. You show me a guy who's steeped in porn, absolutely steeped in it, but he's broken over sin. Not comfortable in his sin, not explaining it away, not thinking it's okay, not running out, but you show me a man who's steeped in porn and he's in absolute bondage, but he's broken over his sin, and I will show you a person who's close to God. I said well, I'm, I want to level the playing field in these sins. You say, prove it to me from Scripture. I'll prove it to you. Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a parable. Here's a parable he told. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's a good intro. Jesus told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. They had a two-tier system. Those are the bad sins. I have more acceptable sins. Two men went up into the temple to pray, verse 10. 
One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Time over for a second. Tax collectors in those days were the worst of the worst. That's why Jesus put tax collector in here. I mean, nowadays we don't hate tax collectors like that. We probably don't like them that much maybe, but uh, uh, they've never been the most popular people in, in any society. But, but in Jesus' day, tax collectors were, this is synonymous with, he's, he's just inserting the label for the worst people in that society. They were cheats, they were dishonest, they were violent, they were known for sexual immorality, they were the worst of the worst. Every kind of sin and vice known to man was what tax collectors were, for the most part, steeped in in Jesus' day. So he's telling us about a Pharisee, and he's telling us about this guy who's steeped in every kind of vice and grossness. Okay? One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God... I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. There's the sexual immorality. If Jesus was here in modern times, he may have added those addicted to pornography or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. In other words, this guy's got it all together. He's got no observable bondages or addictions. And he goes to the temple. He believes everything in God. He's got all the right doctrine. He fasts and he tithes. This guy has it together. But he looks at him and he says, he doesn't have a sin problem. He doesn't have a sin problem, but he is going to have a God problem, as we're going to see, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, which one? The one who didn't have an obvious sin problem, or the one who had a very obvious sin problem? The one who had the very obvious sin problem is the one Jesus says is justified before God. How is that possible? The tax collector hadn't got his stuff together yet. He was still steeped in bondage. This guy doesn't have any external looking bondages. And Jesus says, this man is justified before God. Now, not this man because, not, this is not an excuse for sin, like, oh, I can just be steeped in sin and it's no problem. No, 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 no. It's not because he was steeped in sin that he was justified before God. It's because he was broken. And the fact that his heart was broken about his sin, Jesus says, this man was justified before God. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So who's the Pharisee in this parable? Anyone who loses sight of their own brokenness. The moment we think it's that other group that has to repent, it's that other group that better get their stuff together, and we lose sight of the fact that every single one of us, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it doesn't matter how overtly you have your stuff together, the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, that each and every one of us needs Jesus Christ and his grace every single day badly. And if you don't have that feeling about yourself, if you don't have a realization of your own need for God and your own brokenness apart from Jesus daily, you actually need to pray for God to give that to you. You need to spend more time with him because the closer you get to him, the more you're going to realize you need him. And the moment you lose sight of your own brokenness before God and you start to shift that to other people, it's other people who need to repent. It's other people who need to be broken. And you don't have a sense of your own brokenness. You become the Pharisee in this parable. And it's the Pharisee who is not justified before God. So one of the things I want to do in this message is I want to level the playing field. Instead of viewing this as there's a bunch of dirty men over here that need to get their stuff together, we need to level the playing field and realize that we are all broken sons and daughters of Jesus. 
We're all fellow strugglers. We need to see this as we are all fellow strugglers. We might have different strugglers, but we are all fellow strugglers together. We're all fellow strugglers. We're all broken. We all need Jesus. When we get that realization as a church, it's going to radically change the way we love each other. It's going to change the way we act. It's going to change the way we pray. Look at this, Psalm 51, verse 7. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. It will change the way we treat people who are struggling in sin. If I go back to Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus says at the beginning, he said this, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The moment you are not broken about your sin, whether you consciously do it or whether it's just a subconscious thing, but the moment we lose our sense of our own need for God and the moment we lose our own sense of our brokenness, the moment I lose that in myself, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I will begin to treat those people that I see that are in bondage with contempt. Whether I, whether I do it on purpose or not, the moment I see myself as not broken, I'm going to treat, it's going to be a two-tiered system, I'm going to treat those people with contempt. And we need to actually see ourselves as fellow strugglers so that instead of pushing people away and treating them with contempt, we're going to see strugglers as people in need of grace and in need of love. Amen. And the reason this is so important, and, and next week I'm going to get into something else. There was something I wanted to get to this week, but now I'm going to put that off to next week. But the reason this is so important that we get this fellow strugglers idea is because there is one thing with God that a struggling person needs more than anything else in order to get free. There is one thing with God that a struggling person needs more than anything else. If they're going to make it to the end of that journey, assuming they have that hunger and thirst for righteousness, if they don't have that, they're not going to follow the path. But assuming they have that hunger and thirst for righteousness, there is one thing that a struggling person needs with God more than anything else in order to be set free. You want to know what that is? They need loving, secure, committed relationships. That's not just the Bible. You're going, oh, that's your big bombshell? That was kind of obvious. That's not just the Bible. I'm going to show you the Bible. That's the brain science. And the reason I bring it up, even if it was obvious to some of you, is this. It might feel obvious to some people, but the fact of the matter is the church as a whole, we don't live it. See, what we tend to do is when people struggle in bondage, you know what we like to do? We like to practice what we call tough love. Tough love is, I'm going to separate myself from you. I'm going to push you away so that you feel hurt, so that you get motivated to get your stuff together before you come back into relationship with me. We, that's what we call tough love. I'm going to push you away. I'm going to bring separation so now you better learn your lesson. You get it together. And if you want to be back in relationship with me, you get it together. And we somehow think that now the person will be motivated to get it together and then they'll come back into relationship. And the thing we have absolutely no concept of is the moment you push someone away like that, you've cut off the very thing they need in order to get better. Which is we were created to be relational beings. Did you know that your and mine puny willpower is not strong enough to take on the power of sin? I'll tell you this right now, right away again. We have this idea that people just need more willpower. Get it together. You've been struggling with this for what? Two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years? You obviously aren't serious about taking on this sin. That is just bad theology. It's bad science. And it shows terrible understanding of ourselves and human nature. Because our puny willpower on its own, you need willpower to make some choices but your puny willpower on its own is not enough to overcome the power of sin. Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter 7. Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He lived a pretty amazing life. In case you hadn't noticed, half the New Testament was written by him. 
He basically single-handedly spread the gospel to the entire Roman province of Asia, okay? And, and, and just an amazing man of God, miracles, all that sort of stuff. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Remember before I talked about this two-tier system where some of us lose our sense of brokenness before God and we think it's other people that need to repent? The apostle Paul, look at his view. He totally and completely in this passage views himself, you see what his heart is, as a fellow struggler. He's the apostle Paul. If the apostle Paul viewed himself as a fellow struggler with strugglers, we should probably view ourselves as fellow strugglers. He doesn't view himself as above people who struggle. He says, I'm right there with you. For the things I want to do, I don't do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Sin, the power of sin in our lives, is far too strong for your puny willpower on its own to overcome. And science now, and those of you who are going to go through the Conquer series, you're going to see this. They talk lots about the science of stuff and how it ties in with the Bible. It's unbelievable material. It really is. But brain science is now catching up with the Word of God, which is 2,000 years old. And it's absolutely true. A person on their own, your human brain, it's not made to be able to do it, cannot take on the power of ha sinful habits by itself. So the number one thing we need with God in order to overcome something is secure relationships. They say it's probably three or four or five, but you need lifetime committed relationships with people where you can take all your masks off and, and they know the worst stuff about you and they're still committed to you. They don't, it's not permissive love where they just uh, leave you to just be in your sin, but they challenge you to a higher level. But we each need three or four or five relationships where I can take all of my masks off where they know the worst of the worst about me of what I've done, of what I think, of what I'm tempted to, and they love me anyway. And in that kind of an environment, a person can begin to get free. Let me show you this. James chapter 5, verse 16. Because here's the thing. Some of you are thinking, actually, I thought it was God's power that sets us free. It is God's power. But here's the thing about God. He loves to put his power through others into us. And look at what James 5 verse 16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Not just to God. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You want to be healed? You want to be set free? It's only going to be by the power of God through the one another's. You want to be, I'll say it again, you want to be set free? You want to be healed of the junk in your life, not just sexual bondage, but anger, lying, low self-esteem, anxiety. You want to be set free? It's going to be through the power of God working through the one another's. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The healing and the power and the freedom are contingent on the one another's and science now confirms this. Now, the thing is, the sad thing is, we see these one another's in Scripture. Very few Christians in the church actually have relationships that are that good. We have people that we'll go to sell with, and we'll talk about, you know, devos or whatever. We've got people we'll watch football with, that we'll go shopping with, that we'll do all these sorts of things with. There are very few people, even in the church, where a guy could say, I have three or four men in my life that I have told the worst of the worst to, and they still love me. 
And there are very few women in the church who can say, I've got three or four women that I have told them, not just the good stuff, not just the semi-bad stuff, but where I've actually told them the things I am most ashamed of and most afraid of, and they love me anyway. And yet it's those kinds of relationships. It is through those kinds of relationships where the power of God flows and sets people free. See, there is a huge difference. Time out. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of you are scared of your wits right now. And I'll tell you why you're scared of your wits. Because we all wear masks. We all wear masks. And I'll tell you why we wear masks. God lives in a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is relational at his core. When he made us as human beings, he made us to be relational at the core. And brain science is now confirming it. The brain is a social organ. We were made to need people. And as a result of being made so social, as a result of our need so much for people, there is a fear that probably is the greatest fear if you go deep down enough in every human being, the greatest fear of every human being is to be rejected by others. That's our greatest fear. So we all wear masks. This is why we wear masks. I wear a mask because I fear. I don't consciously have to think it through, but there are things I don't tell you because if you knew that about me, you wouldn't like me. If you knew some of the things I had done in grade 8 or grade 9, if you knew some of the things I looked at last week, if you know some of the things I thought or fantasized about, this is what every person thinks. If you really knew what was going on inside me, I actually had a, a guy in my office recently, he said this. He said for years, people would give me compliments and they would tell me how good I was doing at something. I could never receive it. He said I would always think the same thing. Someone would tell me something good about myself and I would think to myself, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Because what you like is just the part of me I show you. If I really showed you who I am, what goes on inside of here, some of the shameful things I've I've done, some of the shameful things I've looked at, if I really showed you who I really was, you wouldn't like that person. And he could not receive love for many years in his life. See, there's a big difference. When James talks about confess your sins to one another, there's a big difference between general confession and specific confession. For many in this church, we've seen the power even of general confession, which is I can tell someone, yeah, you know, I'm I'm struggling with an anger problem. It's one thing to say to someone, I struggle with an anger problem. That's a general confession. It's another thing to tell them what you yelled at your kids on the way to church. You can tell someone, yeah, I've I've got a bit of a lust problem. That's easy for a guy to say now, I think, at Selvin. For, For the most part, we've created this environment where there is a level of confession you can say. It's a total another thing altogether to tell them, this is the thing I think about. This is what I've looked at. But here's the thing. We've got these masks on so tight, and those masks are from shame. It's shame and it's secrecy. The healing in your life can only flow as deep as you're willing to confess. You can only get healed as deep as you're willing to go with your secrets. Because it's only as deep as you're willing to go with your secrets. That's right there is the shame cutoff. And everything underneath that is covered in shame. You can't get healing there. You want to get healing? You get healing as far as you're willing to go, as far as you're willing to open up with the shame and let the, and let the light of God pierce in there. You say, I just want to do that with God alone. You know what it says in 1 John? It says in 1 John, if you can't love someone whom you can see, you can't love God who you can't see. That principle holds in the other direction too. If you can't receive love and forgiveness through, from a person you can see, you won't be able to, to receive it from God who you can't see. And so the healing is in the one another's. The healing is in the one another's. Do you have three or four men? Do you have 
three or four women who are in your life that you can go take all the masks off right to the very bottom and they can look right pierced through the shame and they can speak the words of God into your life and they can accept you and love you seeing you at your worst. And when that happens, God's love pours into you and you can receive healing as well. But here's the thing that we do to people. This means we need a radical, a radical reshifting of the way we love people in bondage. Because we've been going tough love. You know what? Come back when you're willing to deal with your, when you're really, when you're willing to be free. And then we push them away. But it's in the pushing away that we cut them off from the one thing they really need with God, which is the one another's. We've got to embrace people in bondage. Now you say, well, there's got to be a place for boundaries. There's got to be a place for tough love. There is. If a person, there's a place where sin is so toxic and it's just hurting all the people around and if a person isn't willing to deal with their sin, there, there are places and you pray about them, you get wisdom. There are places for separation. There's places for tough boundaries and tough love. So you say, how do I know when it's a tough love situation? How do I know when it's just an embrace a fellow struggler situation? Here's the question you ask yourself. You ask yourself this question. Is this person broken over their sin and are they hungering and thirsting for righteousness? If they hunger and thirst for righteousness, and if they're broken over their sin, why would you push them away? Because it's in the one another's. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why would you push away a person? They might be steeped in sin, like that tax collector. Yes, they don't have it all together. They're going to need a whole bunch of godly people around them in order to get it together. So if they hunger and thirst for righteousness and they're broken over their sin, why would we push a person like that away? Now, if they're casual about their sin or whatever, that's another issue, and it may be toxic. But we need to embrace people in their sin, not just after they have their stuff together. Well, final point of the hodgepodge. I've got to finish with one more point here, and this is really important, or there's going to be lots of problems over the next few weeks. I want to speak to husbands and wives about confession. Because like I said, starting tomorrow night, can of worms is getting opened up and there's going to be lots of mess. We're going to be elbow deep in the grime and the, and the grease and the, and the dirt and God loves it. And we're going to do house cleaning. But I want to make sure too that in our zeal some things aren't done to hurt people. So husbands to wives. I want to give you a piece of advice and many of you just need to write this down. I wasn't smart enough to figure this out. Stefan's been telling me this for a while. It's really important stuff. He works with a lot of people. They also repeat this in the Conquer series which is amazing material. Husbands to wives. When it comes to sexual bondage I'm going to tell you this right now. You confess actions to your wives, not thoughts. We've seen couples really badly hurt by not following this advice. So I'm going to say it again, guys. Remember what Chris Pugh said in that testimony. Sometimes your confession, guys, can actually be selfish. It's actually about you unloading something and you don't care about the trauma you're causing to your wife. Now, I'm not saying here that we should hide things from our wife. If you act out lustfully, you most certainly need to get your marriage to a point where you can confess all your actions. There needs to be total, total uh, uh, truth and honesty. But you confess actions, you don't confess thoughts. Now, some of you women are kind of looking at me, and you're, I don't know if I like that. Some of you have control issues, and you would like to even control your husband's thoughts. I'll tell you this right now. It is very difficult to control another human being. It is impossible to control another person's thoughts. So let me talk to you women for just a moment. You will destroy your husband if you make him paranoid about his thoughts. I've had a human brain now for 38 years. <laughs> I have some experience with how this works. 
The more you try not to think about something, the more you will think about it. Has any of you ever found that to be true? I'll do a little brain experiment with you here right now, okay? I want all of you right now to stop thinking about black cats. Stop it. <laughs> I see some of you are thinking about black cats right now. Would you stop it, please, okay? Stop thinking. Get black cats out of your mind. Stop it. The more I tell you to stop looking at black cats or thinking about black cats, what are you thinking about? Black cats. Some of you women are going to want to go to your husband during the Congress series. Are you thinking about lust? Are you having a lustful thought right now? Are you attracted to that woman over there? You're just hammering him. <laughs> the more you ask him that question, the more he's thinking about it. Now, with other guys in his conquer group, the guys, his three or four men or five men or whatever, that he's opening everything up to, when they get together, he is going to open up about his thought life because it's in that that so much of the shame is. And he's going to open up about that and he's going to get freedom. But wives, do not make him paranoid about his thoughts. You will destroy him. The second thing is, you actually don't want to know about his thoughts, okay? The, the male brain and the female brain are two very different things. And any of you who is married discovered that one day in. It was like, what in the world? Wow, we are different. How does this even work, right? The male brain, the female brain, very difficult, very different, okay? The male brain is made to be attracted to a female, okay? Now, that goes a bad place when he lusts and he acts out lustfully. But you do not want to know, you know, was he attracted? And then you want to know, were you attracted to that woman at the mall? Whatever it was, right? So guys confess actions, not thoughts. So here's the weekly challenge. I want to leave you with this weekly challenge. And then uh, we're going to finish with a song of worship. If you, uh, if this message is in any way, that what's happening in this, in this series, in this message is, is in any way touching you or just touches someone in your family, in your marriage, I would encourage you every, right now after this, go to the prayer room and get prayer. Many people last night already went, and I would encourage you to go for prayer. You need prayer. To get through this, you're going to need God. Whether you're praying for your husband, whether you're praying for your son, whether you're praying for your wife, whether you're praying for yourself, go to the prayer room. I would challenge you every week for the next few weeks to do that. Number two, I'm going to do a fast every Tuesday for the next five weeks during the Conquer series. I just decided this yesterday. I just wrote it in at the end of the message. I just feel like we need to seek God. And don't do it because you feel guilty, but if any of you feels the Holy Spirit tugging you, then I would just encourage you to join me. Let's as a church, every week, seek God's face to see him do something powerful. It's going to have to be his power. I'm going to be in the, prayer, in the prayer room, by the way, for those of you who are available and around, I'll be in the prayer room from 12 to 1 on these Tuesdays. Instead of eating lunch, I've got to do something but think about food. So I'm going to go to the prayer room. I'm going to pray. If you're available and you're around, come join me, and let's pray for this church. Let's pray for the men. Let's pray for marriages. Third, pick up one of those porn testimonies handouts on the tables. And last of all, women, there's going to be a women's event on November 25th here at the church. It's going to be powerful, and we're going to speak directly to women about these issues. And it's going to be a powerful event, and you're going to be encouraged. I would encourage you right now to put that on your calendar. And November 25th in the evening, it's going to be here. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing a final song, Worship Jesus. Lord, we thank you. It's all for your glory. We thank you that you are going to clean up so much sin in this church. I pray for every man who's struggling, Lord Jesus, that, you would, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are going to find freedom. I pray for marriages, Jesus. I thank you for what you're going to do. Give us a hunger for prayer. Give us a hunger for your spirit. And I pray that you would come in power and glory and love as we clean up our junk. I pray that you're going to show up in our services and in our cell groups and in our lives more than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.